to John chapter 8. I would be remiss if I didn't thank you for making our ministry in Germany possible by supporting us and praying for us. Many of you have been involved in our ministry since the very day we went to Germany. George mentioned that today's the only day I could come and speak next week. I'll be speaking at my church in Germany since we're going to leave tomorrow morning early. So it's our privilege to be here. You may say, what do you do in Germany? Well, I do a number of things. I teach, I preach, uh, I write, I help lay people know the Bible, do all of that. And that's difficult to explain in a sermon. So I thought what I would do is I would show you what I do. We're in the life of Christ. We've been in the life of Christ since 2005. We have gotten basically to John chapter 8. And when you look at the life of Christ, there are a number of reasons for studying the life of Christ. For example... The goal is to become like Christ. Did you know that that is the ultimate goal for every believer? That he will become like Christ. She will display the character of Christ in her life. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens through a process of growing. Sometimes we resist, and God has a way of encouraging us. And ultimately, we will become like Christ. Another reason that we want to look at the life of Christ, it's not for information. Most people, when they read the life of Christ, it's for information. It's for for finding out what he did. Oftentimes, it's seeing how he dealt with me. And while that's part of the reasons the Gospels were written, that's not the only one. In fact, the goal is transformation. The goal is not only to understand what Christ did for me, but he becomes the model for what I do for others. And the Gospels are written, we study the life of Christ to be transformed so that we learn to act like Christ did. It's designed to be, was designed to be like Christ. It's not information, it's transformation. When you look at the gospel, at this particular passage, the question is, who is guilty and who condemns? Now, some of you may say, well, I know about this passage. In fact, if you have a good Bible, it may say it's not in some of the earlier manuscripts. That's true. I think it belongs right here. You see, what has happened in the life of Christ, Christ has presented himself, he's taught, 
In Matthew chapter 12, they, he presents himself and then he is rejected. And from 13 to 16, he teaches his disciples why he was rejected and that his program of bringing the kingdom is not to be abandoned. And starting in 16, he teaches them how to live while he's gone. And that takes you almost to Jerusalem. And that's where the Gospels kind of go different ways. Luke teaches you about the journey of faith. And that's why he has all kinds of stories and parables. Matthew and Mark exclude this part and go have Christ go into the temple and start teaching. John and he's the one we'll look at today. He wants to explain why people rejected Christ. And John 8 and 9 belong together. Both of them have to do with the rejection of Christ. Both of them are going to teach about the life of Christ and who he is. In John 8, it's about freedom and why people reject the offer of freedom. In John 9, he teaches about being the light of the world and why people choose darkness. Who is guilty? Who condemns? Notice as I read, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, while all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So he's in the middle of the temple. It's at the Feast of Tabernacles. All kinds of people are there. And he sits down to teach them. He's in the most holy place. And he's the most holy person. And he's teaching them about what it means to follow him, who he is, and what they should do. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group. And they said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, many of you will not understand what this means. To be caught in the very act of adultery and to be accused is a capital offense. Did you notice? There's only the woman. The man, he's not there. It's the woman. And according to Jewish tradition from the Mishnah, if you're going to accuse somebody of adultery, and it is false, you will be stoned. So that's a very serious accusation, particularly if you can't prove it. That's why, if you're going to accuse somebody of adultery, you have to have at least two people who see the adultery taking place. And then they have to warn the people. 
Now, can you imagine you're going to have an affair and you say, oh, it's okay, it's okay, God won't see me, my wife won't see me. And you go and have an affair and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and said, buddy, don't do that. I would say, you know, maybe God is speaking to me, buddy, don't do that. And I say, oh, it's okay, it's okay. And they knock on the door again. We are watching exactly what you're doing. Don't do that. Well, at best, it would spoil the mood. (laughs) At best. You know, I would say to the lady, you know, please go away. Uh, I need to go away. Uh, They're watching me. They know who I am. I mean, this is not a good situation. And they drag that poor woman half-dressed out of her bedroom into the very heart of the worship of God. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Well, you know, it kind of assumes he doesn't know what the law says. Well, if he's been sitting in the temple teaching, he probably does know what it says. You see, they had an ulterior motive. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You see, this is a trap you cannot win. If he says, you know... We're going to let this woman go free. He can't be a prophet of God because he's contradicting Moses. You know, he would lose all standing in front of the people. If he says, yes, let's stone her, they would pick up the stones. In fact, they already had the stones. The text says that they already had the stones. The Romans in the fortress Antonio who overlooked the temple would have come down and said, what is going on here? Well, we're getting ready to stone somebody. No, you cannot because capital offenses belong to us. Who told you to stone her? It's this Jesus guy. Well, Jesus guy, you come with us and we will execute you. He can't win. Notice his response. He bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Probably kind of a reference to God writing the law with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone at her. They badgered him to death. Okay. Those without sin cast the first stone. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, 
those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, probably because they understood, until only Jesus was left and the woman still was standing there. Can you imagine being her in the presence of Jesus? And you know you're guilty. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go now. Leave your life of sin. What do you do with the guilty? Or better, who are the guilty? You see, in this story, the sinners are caught. Did you notice who the sinners were? The woman and the religious leaders. What should we do with sinners? His silence screams his response. His response, obey the law. Now, let's see, what does it say in the law about adultery? Stone them. What does it say in the law about false testimony? Stone them. Obey the law. So people... Pick up your stones and hit yourselves on the head with them. They're in the most holy place with the most holy person. And they're interested in tricking God and making themselves look good at the expense of someone else. They're in the business of trying to pull the wool over the eyes of Jesus. You know, that's kind of really dumb. You have an all-knowing God, and you think he doesn't know. He sees everything, and you think he's blind. Did you notice the significance? How should holy people treat sinners? You know, or another question to ask is how should sinners become holy? How does Jesus treat these sinners? And how do these sinners become holy? Did you notice the way they viewed the woman? She was just a means to accomplish their goal. They didn't even see her. Probably her partner was in on the conspiracy. He was one of the witnesses. Disappointment was the name that she would have chosen for herself. D 
disillusioned. How could he do something like that to me? And they just wanted to trick God. They wanted to treat others badly so they will look good. None of you would have ever do that, would they? That only happens in Germany. Treat someone badly so you look good. You're holy and they're not. You see, we act as a judge. We're condemning the others because we think we're righteous. We don't see who we really are. We explain away our sin. Well, it's not really my fault. It's my son's fault. He made me angry. He's a four-year-old, and he got mad at me, so I'm going to get mad at him. It's my mother's fault. It's my father's fault. It's LSU's fault. They made me so angry yesterday because they didn't play football. It's Alabama's fault. They played so well yesterday. I became pride and er- uh, prideful and arrogant. Somebody else's fault. And we rationalize our sin. Oh, we're just trying to get rid of this country bumpkin preacher. So it's okay to try to skirt the law a little bit. Nobody will know, just us. And we rationalize our sin. And the stones that they're going to use to destroy this poor woman are the same stones that we use. We reject. No, we don't want to have anything to do with you. You're different. We don't like you. You don't go to the same church we do. You don't go to the same school we do. You go to that other school. And we reject. We misjudge people's motives. We criticize. We spread rumors. We use abusive speech. We gossip. And if you look at the story, you'll find all of those stones in this story. Maybe you'll find some more. They condemn. They're sarcastic. Maybe you have some other ones up your sleeve. Just name your favorite poison. And you see, we use all of these stones against others. But in reality, they all fall back on ourselves. And you see, they saw themselves as the righteous. And they didn't see themselves as God sees them.
You know, if you follow me on Facebook, I had a post this week or last week. One of the th ways that we need that will cause change in my life is if I see myself the way God sees me. And if you are discouraged and down, God sees you as loved and accepted. And if you see yourself as righteous, perfect, God sees you as guilty and he offers forgiveness. How do you think this woman felt? Perhaps we feel this way sometimes. Exposed, guilty, unloved, rejected. And Christ does not condemn. He accepts her the way she is. How do you think the scribes felt? Proud, self-righteous, arrogant. And you see, both of them need to see themselves the way God sees them. And the woman in need of forgiveness. The scribes also in need of forgiveness. Notice the way Jesus treated the sinners. He accepts both of them. He makes an offer that neither one should refuse. And he's teaching us the way we deal with sinners is the way he deals with sinners. They saw her as a criminal. Jesus sees her as the victim. Now, isn't that true? Even the people that do wrong things, they may be the perpetrator, but in reality, they're also a victim. They're the zombies of Satan, and they're victims. The Pharisees wished to condemn her. Jesus wanted to pardon her. They thought of the blackness of her past. Jesus thought of the brightness of her future. They had contempt for her. Jesus had compassion. They preached the law to look righteous. Jesus practiced grace to restore. They wanted to kill her. Jesus wants to cleanse her. They wanted to stone her. Jesus wanted to save her. And Jesus exposes the sinner. The righteous and the guilty, because both are guilty. 
and he forgives the sinner. Woman, where are those who were condemning you? Did you notice he says, let the one without, the, without sin cast the first stone? You know, guess who that was? It was Jesus. And he comes to forgive sin and to pay the penalty for sin with his own blood. He doesn't just let sin go and says, oh, it's okay. He says, no, I'm going to pay for that with my own blood. Some reject. Did you notice they all went away? There was one that accepted. He provides an example the way he treats me as a sinner. He provides an example in the way I should treat sinners. They use and abuse. Jesus does not condone the sin. He confronts it. And he says, go and sin no more. He offers himself as a living sacrifice to pay for her sin. To pay for the sins of all those righteous leaders who desperately need forgiveness. We stand in the most holy place. Not because this church is holy. We stand in the presence of God. He knows everything. Every secret thought. Every secret sin. Every motivation. Everything. And the question is, how will we respond? How will we respond when he knows? Will we try to explain it away? Will we say somebody else is at fault? Will we say, you know, sorry, just born that way? Or will we say, you're right. I need your forgiveness. We stand in the presence of the most holy person. And that that should make us afraid. But the great thing is, this most holy person loves us in spite of who we are. 
you see, that's what grace does. And when we have stones in our hand to stone others, grace knocks them out of our hands and says, don't do that. Because when you demand righteousness, you'll get it. When you practice grace, when you ask for something that you do not deserve, something that is the opposite of what you deserve, you'll get that too. I have students come to me and they say, Cleon, I want justice. You did not grade this paper correctly. I want justice. I say, okay, I'll give you justice. The first thing I'll do is I'll take off the 15 points that I gave to you. You know, I gave everybody 15 points, just out of the goodness of my heart. I'll take that away. And then I will grade your paper based on the letter of the lecture. So if you don't have the words of the lecture, your answer is wrong. Uh, are you sure? I said, yeah. I th- I th- I'm just try- trying to comply with what you want. You want justice. Well, I'm not sure that that's good. Well, I say, I promise you, it's not good. But if that's what you want, I'll be happy to give it to you. Well, would you just forget that I came to see you? (laughs) No, I won't. Because if I made a mistake and you're gracious to me, I'll be gracious to you. It's, it can happen that I make mistakes. Not often, but it can happen. And I will be happy to correct any mistakes. But don't ever ask for justice. Because when we ask for justice, we exclude grace. I would like $3 worth of grace. Just enough to keep me from hell, but not enough to bring heaven to earth. Not enough to follow wholeheartedly. Just enough for positive vibes and a good feeling. Give me God's grace wrapped up and ready to use. Just enough. Not enough to explode my soul and change my life. Not enough to disturb my sleep. Just enough to help me go to sleep. Give me a little bit of grace, like a cup of warm milk to ease my soul before I go to sleep.
You see, I want the warmth of the womb and not a new birth. I want ecstasy, not transformation. That's all I want, and that's all I need. Give me three dollars worth of grace, wrapped up, ready to use. I'm in control. And if that's what you want, you'll get that, but also justice. You see, grace will cast the stones out of our hand because grace recognizes the nature of my sin and that I don't need justice. I need grace. We demand justice so we look good in comparison to others. Our comparison is not with others. It's with God. It's not you have to be good. It's not even you have to be as good as gold. You have to be gold. And we all fall short. Whom are the stones intended for? For your spouse? For your kids? For your parents? For your co-worker? We all have them in our hand. And we're all ready to use them until grace invades our life and knocks them out of our hand. Just drop them in the presence of Jesus. He will not use them against me. Follow his advice. Go. Leave your life of sin. That's good advice. Go. Leave your advice of sin. In fact, that's not good advice. That's the best advice you'll ever get. Because God has offered us grace that will transform our lives. Fear rules where real love for God is lacking. Fear rules where real love for others is lacking. You say, no, that's pretty good. Go home this afternoon. Between the NFL games, you sit down and read the story again. Ask yourselves, if you were there and you were a religious leader, what would you do when you go home and you told your family what happened? What would you do 
if you were the woman and you went home and told your family what happened. You see, both of them encountered Christ. The woman and the religious rulers had no love for God and no love for others. She was forgiven, and her fear is taken away. She's free. And the religious leaders, they're trapped. No freedom. They're in darkness. That's why I have a prayer. And let me conclude with this. God, make me a person who enables others through love. Because I love you. And you love them. Help me to love them too. Father, help me to be a person that does not control others through fear and condemnation. Help me not to put others down so that I look better. Father, you have done that for me. I have been the object of your grace. Help me do that for others. I want to become like you. You see, the life of Christ is a journey that we're on. We receive what he offers and it transforms our life so that we become like Christ. We start the journey. We are on our way to becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. You see, in Germany, that's what people need. They need people who are on their way to becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. The motto of our church is we love God. That's why we love others. He's loved me. It's my right in responsibility to love others. The life of Christ. Start the journey today. Let me pray. Father, oftentimes we find ourselves in the situation of the woman, exposed and guilty. And we need your grace and your forgiveness. Other times we find ourselves 
in the situation of the religious leaders where we demand righteousness but we're blind to our own sin. Would you help us and not give us righteousness but give us grace? Father, too seldom are we in the position of Christ where we confront sin without condoning but we offer grace and forgiveness to those who have wronged me my family Oftentimes we want righteousness, but we need to offer grace because you have done that for us. Help us to do that for you and for others. And for I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.